day, everybody. Welcome to the Lifetime Trainer Talks podcast. And today we've got the one and only Mr. Pete McCall, educating trainers for God, since 2002. He's the host of All About Fitness podcast, and he's written some amazing textbooks. Uh, more recently, these Ageless Intensity, and he also has Smarter Workouts. And he's a global trainer, master trainer for core health and fitness. Uh, also contributing, you know, with ACE and NESM and, you know, just a, a great man. And I've, and I've known him for a long time. So it's an honor to have you on the show, man. Oh, thanks, Jay. That's very kind. And, and really, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I, I appreciate what you're doing with the podcast, man. You're putting out some great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Well, today's episode is all about how to slow the aging process and really redefining this term that all of us have heard probably our whole career is called functional training and how it's kind of morphed over time. Um, so I'd, I'd love to start, you know, it's an amazing book, you know, what I've read, I've read about half of it so far and, and thanks for that. And I think it's going to help a lot of people, a lot of trainers. So go out and get it. Uh, but before we get into that, like you've talked about this history of functional training and I've been there, but I'd love for you to talk you know, through this with some people and kind of understand where, where it kind of started to kind of the redefining of what it is today. Jay, that's an awesome question. And it totally, I, I love it because as we're, before we're logging on for listeners that, that may have never heard of PT on the net because PT on the net has gone away. PT on the net used to do these interviews with top educators years ago before there was an iPod. So before there were podcasts, they had audio files of interviews with educators the reason why I bring that up is in the late, right around 98, 99, 2000, you had a few different things happen that really changed how fitness was done by personal trainers. One, you had PT on the net come online. Richard Boyd was brilliant in putting a lot of content, education content on there for personal trainers. Two, you had NASM kind of rebrand itself and create the optimal performance training model, the OPT model. And then number three, a company by the name of Ground Zero introduced their, their dual cable machine that really allowed a cable training. And after 9-11, Ground Zero rebranded as Free Motion. The reason why I say that and go back to that, because in, in, the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when I started personal training, functional training meant doing stuff with cables, meant doing stuff on stability balls, medicine balls. We got a lot of our information from PT on the net, or at least I did. And applied it. And I'm sure, I mean, you were, you're probably doing the same thing I would reading all the articles and listening to those interviews and, and, and trying to drop it on your, on your clients. Yeah. And so the, the evolution of functional training went from the early 2000s, proprioception, balance, kind of doing stuff on one leg, doing stuff on stability balls. But then as, as CrossFit, people realize, okay, yeah, I'm balancing better. I can move better, but I want muscle. I want to get jacked, right? I mean, that's what people, that's why people work out. They want to get jacked. They want to look better naked. Well, CrossFit came along around 2005, 2006, and high-intensity training, barbell lifts, kettlebell training, metabolic conditioning, HIIT training, and it really changed how fitness was done. And then a few years later, people realized, okay, we can't have all high-intensity all the time, so they added in recovery. So starting about late 2000s, maybe around 2009, 2011, somewhere in there, functional training meant high-intensity, barbell, strength. Move, still movement-based, but really focused on force production. But it also meant let's incorporate in recovery. Let's look at foam rolling. Let's look at rest days. I think, who was it? Supple Leopard. Um, Kelly, Kelly Stretch. Yeah. yeah, he with the Supple Leopard did a brilliant job of like, hey, let's, let's kind of stop beating ourselves up and, and learn how to take care of ourselves. 
So now functional training has kind of evolved to mean strength, power, explosive, metabolic conditioning, and recovery. Well, in ageless intensity, I say that's all great. Now let's add in the concept of successful aging. So successful aging means aging free from disease, aging with optimal cognitive and physical performance. And really when you look at the same type of high intensity exercise that has been popular for a number of years, the fact is that can help slow down the aging process. So if now functional training means I want to work with somebody in their late 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s, and just help them be strong and be fit. You, that, that's the big thing is people in their 60s, they don't want to slow down. And if they've been working out for 20, 30, you see these people in the gym all the time. You see guys, I'm sure in Arizona, you see guys, dang, he's jacked. And you realize he's almost 70, right? I mean, that, that's not uncommon. So to me now, functional training and what I try to define functional training as we need to take into mind that this type of high intensity exercise can really slow down the aging process and extend the lifespan. And what's more functional than that? Love it. Well, you know, it's interesting too, because, you know, I, I, I was super fortunate to, you know, have been introduced to a lot of people early in my career, you know, obviously even before Rich, you know, Richard started PT on the net and, and one of the guys was this fellow named Tony Bruno. It was a good friend and, he was lucky enough to be introduced to like the Tom Purvises of the world before NESM, you know, well, the original NESM. And even before that, we, I worked at a studio that there was a fellow named Bob Gaida. And I don't know if, if that name rings a bell at all, but Bob wrote a book um, many years and he was in a mist. He was one of the first, I think it was Mr. Olympia. Wait, universe is it universe that and now it's olympia but he won a mr universe and he was this like mad scientist doing functional training you know the way that you just described it but he actually got jack doing that kind of thing and it was just you know and then and it morphed in all these different pieces of equipment and i just think that you know how the industry skews and this is kind of my point of what i'm saying this is as we go from one extreme to the absolute other extreme and we don't think about the, the whole piece and and you said it like kelly starrett was the brilliant mind that looked at cross and said oh boy this isn't gonna last i need to insert myself and he inserted himself to, to create that mobility which is you know what i think from what i read your definition of of ageless intensity or functional training is that combination, like you just said, of not only high intensity, and we'll get into the science and all that in a minute, but it's the mobility, it's the recovery, it's the whole thought, you know, and, and as you know, you and I both know your workout is only as good as your recovery. <laughs> and that's just it. It's, it. it's getting into that mindset of, for years, Jay, I've said, we should be training our clients like athletes, right? I mean, I've got this going back 20 something years now is even if you're even if you're a client of mine who might be an attorney and has like don't doesn't have an athletic gene in your body i'm going to train you like an athlete meaning i'm going to follow kind of the model of the prehab prehabilitation work going to do some maybe core training get you started do some conditioning i'm going to train you how to move better because when we look at athletic performance we have to we, we train athletes to keep them injury free and allow them to perform better in their sport well i look at the sport of life right i look at the sport of being able to get out and enjoy life. And one example, because I had clients in, you know, when I was working full-time as a personal trainer and before I got full-time into education and consulting, but I had clients that would travel more than 100,000 miles a year. And now that I do that as a consultant myself, 
traveling beats you up, man. I had, we we're like just last night as an example, I, our plane was delayed leaving Houston, leaving Dallas and had a connection in Houston. I had a sprint from Terminal C, basically Terminal C to Terminal E and at the Houston airport. You know, and it's just like, yeah. that's an athletic endeavor. And sometimes that's the most athletic our clients are going to be. They have a backpack on, they have their wheelie thing, and they got 15 minutes to get from one side of SFO or, or O'Hare to the other. And we want our clients to be injury free and be able to do that with, and that's where mobility comes in. That's where the strength, the power training comes in because, and, and even if your clients aren't traveling for work, but they're traveling for pleasure, I want a client to be able to pack two bags, a roll on and an overhead, you know, put the overhead bin, no problems. They don't need help from anybody else. They can jack that bag in the overhead bin. They can put a backpack on with anything they want and they can go anywhere in the world. I mean, to me, that's functional training and giving people the ability to do that. For sure. For sure. So, you know, one of the things that, that you, you talked about in the book too, and I'd love to spend a little time here is, you know, this observing of the generation and kind of, you know, if you're in, you know, that 45, 50 generation where we're one of the first generations or the first generation to really have worked out the majority of our life and how that's changed you know, how they are, what they look like and what's going on in the future. Would you mind elaborating on that some more? Yeah, no, Jay, that's, thank you. That's a great question because <clears throat> we have to look at it. I date the modern fitness industry to about 1970. You can maybe say it started a few years before that, but Nautilus was invented, not Arthur Jones created Nautilus in 1970 that allowed strength training, resistance training to be performed by the average individual because barbell training for people that aren't that skilled can be a little dangerous. But if we, if we look at, and also around 1970, health clubs became more popular. The Cooper Clinic was promoting aerobic training. Jogging became popular. Jazzercise, Jane Fonda, all happened in the 1970s. So if you were 25 or 30 years old, say you're, you're 30 years old in 1975 and you joined your health club at the first time, you're, you grew up, you grew up to working out and you, you grew up in the gyms. <clears throat> And if, so you've been working, if, if you were 30 in 1975, you're <clears throat> in your mid-70s now. Well, you and I were born, I was born in 1972. So we grew up in the area of, of 1980s, right? We grew up watching that. I, re I remember seeing them. I don't know if you remember the movie Perfect with John Travolta and Olivia yes. Newton-John. I, I used to love and, Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that was, I saw that not long ago. And if, if anybody wants to understand the early iteration of what the fitness industry looked like in 1980s, find Perfect. I'm not sure if it's on yeah. Prime. I'm not sure if yeah. it's on Netflix. Yeah. But I joined my first gym when I was 17, 18 years old, right? And I'd been working out in my high school weight room. So you and I, Jay, Gen X is, is really the first generation that has grown up with fitness. So our parents, the baby boomers, they may have started working out in their 20s or 30s when fitness became popular in, in the 70s and 80s, but we literally grew up from our teens. I don't know about you, but yep. when I was in high school in the 80s, man, we had we would bench press four or five days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we, it, was, it was the circular Nautilus machine that you just kind of went around. You had to do the lap pull down sitting on your ass on the ground. And <laughs> but we got introduced to that. But at the same time, what are we watching on the on movies? We're watching Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, right? That's when Arnold Schwarzenegger became big. Sylvester Stallone in, in his 20 different Rocky movies. We had Jean-Claude Van Damme kicking butt all over the world. But I don't know about you, but that's what motive, and, and that's also when WWF, even though it's WWE now, I mean, come on. 
I watched WWF every Saturday morning. And how I didn't end up breaking my brother's neck, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I'm very lucky. I'm going to knock on wood. I, I, I used to do the Superfly snooker off the top rope all the time. <laughs> right? But we saw that. But what the WWF was, was these oversized people. They're like cartoon characters come to life. Yeah. You saw these guys with big muscles. In the movies, you saw the guys with big muscles. They kicked butt and they got the girl. So what happened to, to those of us that were, that were motivated by that? We're like, oh, yeah, we want to be like that, right? Yep. And so we've been, I've been lifting weights since 1986, 1987. So that's going back. And, and, and for listeners out there, I'm 49 years old. And you might be the same age as me. You might have clients the same age as me, maybe a couple years older, maybe a couple years younger. I guarantee they've had a relationship with fitness going back to their teens. If they're now in their 40s and 50s. Because it has been a part of our culture since then. And that really is. And now when we look, and even people still look down on millennials. But here's the thing. Millennials are born after 1980, 1980 to about 1999. Millennials are turning 40. Millennials are now 40, 41. The older millennials are now 40, 41, 42 years old. And and they're starting to feel the effects of the aging process. And that really is what I'm, what I'm saying. What I'm going with that is... When I started training in, in 1998, 1999, people that were in their 60s, 50s, and 60s didn't have that lifelong relationship with exercise. They might have been new. They might have been sedentary. But now, 20 years later, somebody who's 60, maybe 70 years old, there's a good chance. If they're in the gym today, there's a good chance they've had a relationship with exercise and yeah. fitness for going back a number of years. Now, there may have been certain periods in life when life got in the way, they got the promotion at work, they had you know the third, the fourth kid, and they couldn't make it to the gym as often. But these are people that have had a lifelong relationship with exercise. And I can guarantee you, somebody who's fit in their 60s doesn't want to do chair aerobics. They don't want to, I mean, they don't want to get hurt, but they don't want to take it easy either. And that's why I wrote the book. I wanted to give us a formula to say, hey, it's okay to push. If your clients are a little bit older, it's okay to use a little bit of intensity. It's okay to do things that are a few a little bit hard, but you have to incorporate, as you mentioned earlier, mobility and the recovery so everybody can can have fun and stay injury free. Well, and I think it brings up a point around it, it, the ability for trainers today to build programming can't be a two time a week go. I'm going to be with you. It's got to be something that's done in a full week, full month plan that you're making for them. Some of which they'll do with you, some of which that they, you know, obviously won't. I mean, if they can afford it, they will. But I think it's important to think about, you know, how we get all of that in, because you know, if it's somebody new and they're not used to doing mobility work, they're going to think, oh, especially if they've got that mindset that I got to push myself. They're like, what's this, right? You know, I don't want to do this. Uh, so, but, you know, it, it brings up because you, you kept going back and, you know, I remember the first active, my dad was a musician, so he didn't live the healthiest lifestyle for most of his life. But when I started, you know, when he got out of it, he would go play racquetball. And, you know, back in the day, that was what the, the clubs were racquetball. And, you know, you had an amazing quote that, you know, I want to talk and, and state and, and talk about it said, which came first, the popular trend or the research that validates the benefits of the trend. And, and it's so powerful because, you know, there's so many people I've, I see out there, oh, what's evidence-based, evidence-based, but the evidence-based stuff is like 15 years ago for it to get there. So what's the new stuff that's coming up? And then they discredit it. It's kind of the, I guess, the nature of the world <laughs> we're in right now. Anyway, we don't get into that. But uh, at the end of the day, would you mind going into, you know, 
you know, elaborating on that quote that you had said is again, which came first, the popular trend or the research that validates the benefits of that trend? Well, and I appreciate you asking that. But one thing I want to recognize is I want to give credit to the bodybuilding community because bodybuilding community, even though you could argue whether or not that's functional training, it's functional for them and what they want to do. If you want to walk on a stage and compete in a show, you have to follow a bodybuilding program. Bodybuilders, good bodybuilders, keep meticulous notes of their workouts, their nutrition. They've found what works. So what scientists will do is scientists will say, okay, we, we see this happening. And I'm thinking of Brad Schoenfeld, and Brad has, has done a tremendous amount of research on hypertrophy. So they're seeing what's happening in the gym. And what researchers will do and say, okay, we see this happening. We see this becoming a trend. Well, what's happening with that? What's, what's the body going through? How's that affecting the body? You know, how, what is, what is our drop sets really creating? How do drop sets create muscle growth? We know that drop sets create muscle growth and enhanced definition, but we're not 100% sure why. And that's all science can do is, is, is research can try to explain, well, we're seeing this outcome from this, this input. We have this input, we have these variables, and we're seeing this outcome. Is it affecting our, is it affecting our hormones? Is it affecting muscle fibers? Is it affecting motor units? We're not sure. So let's say, take a look at that. And, and the one thing that, that occurred to me, Jay, that, that I think is fascinating is when you look back at the research before about 2000, before 99, all the research on high performance, and I mean like high intensity training, performance training, all that research was conducted on athletes for athletes. How do we make our athletes stronger? How do we, how do we improve aerobic conditioning? How do we improve explosive power? When you look at the original Tabata, Izumi's Tabata study in the 1990s, looked at the national speed skating team of Japan. Can we have our speed skaters, can we allow them, can we have a method of, of training to improve aerobic capacity without doing high volume? And that's where we got hit. Where we're hit derived from is scientists are trying to say, okay, we need, we need our athletes, our endurance athletes to improve their aerobic capacity, but we don't need an endurance athlete to run 10 kilometers every day. Can interval training, and, and do, how does interval training improve aerobic capacity? Well, in the mid-2000s, early to mid-2000s, there was a shift where now, once it hit, started becoming more popular, researchers started looking at it, and this is, I'm going to credit Marty Gabala um, out of McMaster University. His lab was one of the first ones to really start looking at high-intensity exercise applied to the general population. We see people doing this, but is it healthy? Is it safe? Is it effective for the average general population? So starting about the early to mid 2000s, you saw, a you saw a shift in the literature where you still had research for how do we make athletes better, but they started looking at how does, this, how does this affect the average person? And then they started looking at how does it affect people over 50? How does it affect people over 60? And they started collecting more data about the benefits for everybody and not just athletes. So that's been, that's been the big shift. And, and I want to say this loud and clear. Research doesn't really prove anything. It just collects some data to say, hey, when you apply this in this manner, if you apply this method of, of, of exercise in this manner, these are the results that we see. Now, in, in any time, I don't know about you, but, but I love when I have like PhDs and researchers on, on the All About Fitness podcast, I love the fact that they are very, they will not give you a definitive answer. They will not say, do this or do this or do this. They'll say, well, you know, this study saw, like Brad Wallace do that. Well, like, you know, this study showed this or this study showed this, but they won't give you a definitive answer. And the reason why I'm saying that is I've seen the less people know, the more definitive they are 
with what telling you to do. All you got to do is scroll <laughs> social media and you see people like, do this, do this, do this. And you're like, wait a minute. And then you talk to somebody who's a PhD who's been studying some like intricate little thing about motor unit development for 20 years. And they're like going, well, you know, we're not really sure. We've seen this in these studies, we've seen this, but we still don't know. We need more data on that. So I just put that out there that, that research doesn't really prove anything. It just gives you evidence of what may or may not work. But I think there's a huge lesson learned for all trainers in there, especially those that are up and coming is, is just that, that simple fact of, you know, take it from not being the old guys in the room, but you know, what, what we've clearly realized throughout, you know, my 30 years almost in it is the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know and be okay with it. And what's right today is wrong tomorrow. It's wrong. Tomorrow's right today. And it changes, you know, as things and trends trade uh, change. So, you know, stay within what you know, uh, and don't try to kind of over embellish anything is, is kind of, you know, my, my point there. <laughs> and the other thing is I've learned not to put down other modes of exercise. If people like a few years ago, I'll use bar as an example. I'll use bar class as an example, right? I would see bar happening in a studio and I see these women in these little toe sock thingies lifting like two and three pound dumbbells. I'm like, oh, whatever. I was a little bit derisive of it, right? I was like, ah, that's not, I don't know what they're doing. I, I thought it was like catnip for, for suburban housewives, but then I took a bar class or two and then I wrote an article on bar and realized, you know, endurance, muscular endurance training does have a benefit. And there is a time under tension response from bar. Yeah. And while it might not be right for me, it might not be the type of exercise I choose to get up and go do. If somebody enjoys it, it's not going to hurt them. It really isn't. And if they're doing it two, yep. three times a week, God bless them. It's better. I'd rather have somebody in a bar class than not. A, I mean, here's the thing that we know. Here, here's the one thing we know definitively. Lack of exercise will take years off your lifespan, literally. I mean, if you don't exercise, you're taking years off your life in high quality living. The type of exercise you do, really, it doesn't matter. You just need to do something to stress the system. And I want to come back to one thing that you kind of touched on. when I, Early in my personal training career, one of the things I used to love doing with, with new clients when I started working with a client is I would grab the group exercise schedule. Because I might be seeing you one or two days a week, right? I know I can give you a program. Well, I'm going to circle on the group exercise schedule. Take this cycling class. Take this yoga class. This is a great instructor. If you want a great cycling class, take her class. If you want a great core training class, take his class. Because I, I want my people working out four or five, six days a week. Now, they might be with me one or two days. And I want the, otherwise, I want them in classes, right? I want them in group workouts. And I've heard trainers, I've heard this in a number of gyms where I've worked as an instructor and I've heard it from other instructors. I say that because I've heard trainers tell clients, oh, don't go do group exercise. Don't do that. Come work with me. And I look at it as if I'm doing my job right, if I'm, if I'm giving my client great programs, they're not going to leave me. Yep. But I want them going to a cycling class. I want them going to a yoga class. I want them, if they want to, I want them going to a dance class. Because if they're using classes in the health club, they're coming back to the health club, they're exercising more often. And here's the secret. If they exercise more often, they're going to get better results. If I'm only training them two days a week and, and the other days a week, they're like, oh, I'm not really sure what to do. And I don't really feel comfortable swinging a kettlebell when Jason's not around, or I don't really feel comfortable doing this stuff when, when, when Jason's not here to really coach me. Are we really doing them a service? And I mean, have you ever thought, I mean, have you ever looked at it from that point of view? No, absolutely. It, it's, it, it's funny you say that you know, coming from your perspective, because uh, again, obviously 
this is a lifetime co- a podcast, but it, it's one of the benefits also of having and working within a club. You don't have that when you're in a studio, you don't have, I mean, you, they're going to have to go pay a million different places to go and do it where, you know, you have these other tools, go find out what classes as a trainer that you do like, or instructors that you do trust and then plug them in there. And and that is going to, like you said, keep them there with you. And then they're going to be speaking your name in that class of 40. And next thing you know, you're going to get one or two clients. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's so crazy. You know, just, I think the over analysis of, what people do. And it's, it's a problem, you know, and and you said it move. And I always say frequency plus consistency gets results. And, you know, depending upon your training age, it might be some of the worst stuff you'd ever done, but it's still more than what you've ever, you know, you've ever done. So you're going to get a result at at some point in time, you know, and it's great. You know, and I, we could tangent so many different ways right now, but I want to keep it on, on the topic of, of, you know, this ageless intensity and really the evidence behind high intensity interval training, because, you know, even now you're hearing, you know, too much high intensity might not be the best. Would you mind going through the evidence that you found that you've used, you know, for the book to support it and how it should be done? Well, no, that's a great, that's a great thing to point out. And, and, And for listeners, I've been working with Stairmaster for about the last five or six years. And, Stairmaster has branded, we all are familiar with Stairmaster with the rotating staircase, the gauntlet, but now Stairmaster has the hip bike with the arms and the, and the, and the legs where your arms and legs are moving at the same time. They have a, a hit mill, which is pretty cool, which is like a graded treadmill, self-powered treadmill, and they have a hit rower. So with Stairmaster, I've been doing a lot of the research to write education content for how to use that. And, and that they've, you mentioned I'm a global master trainer. I've been very fortunate and extremely lucky. For a number of years, I was, I've been traveling to Asia, I've been traveling a lot in America and working with our partners, our distributors over there to teach them this. So, so I say that because that's why I do the research on it. And, and as I was going through the research, I would kind of see these trends pop up and it's like, wait a minute, this could be good for people in their 60s and 70s. And it started, studies started getting produced. But when we look at moderate intensity exercise, Low to moderate intensity exercise. Can you explain that real quick? When you say low to moderate, if if we're using heart rate as a gauge, you know, you know, use some percentages so some people understand that. Perfect. No, that's that's great. So and sometimes I forget this stuff, right? I got it. I got to define it, right? I start going into tangents. That's perfect. So think of think of a scale of one to ten, right? About say about a five out of ten. That should be about fifty percent of your max effort or fifty percent of your max heart rate. So moderate exercise would be about a five to a seven. Or about 50 to 70% of your max heart rate. If you're, if you count breathing, moderate exercise is about a seven. You should be breathing hard, but still be able to kind of talk and speak and, 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 you know, be able to converse with somebody and say, Hey, this, I'm working hard, but I'm, but I'm enjoying it. I'm feeling good. High intensity exercise would be about an eight, nine or 10. That'd be 80% of your max heart rate or 80% of your max effort and above. If you're, if you're looking at your breathing for that, People can't really talk. They're you know, hands on knees. Jaw dropped. Yep. Yeah, they're huffing and puffing. That's high intensity. So lower lower intensity exercise, like a five, six, or seven, you're using primarily your aerobic energy system. You're either oxygen and fat or oxygen and carbohydrates. You have aerobic metabolism with fat, fatty acid, fatty acid oxidation, and then you have aerobic glycolysis, which is breakdown of carbohydrate with oxygen. So that's kind of on your low to moderate intensity scale. Higher intensity exercise 
you you have carbohydrate metabolism, anaerobic anaerobic uh, glycolysis, breakdown of carbohydrate without oxygen, and you have the stored ATP in the muscle. And muscle cells will store 10, 12 seconds, according to, to the research, about 10 or 12 seconds of ATP in it. So what the high intensity exercise is doing is doing a couple of things. One is depleting muscle cells of available glycogen, of available carbohydrates. So it's depleting energy from the muscle cells. Two is putting damage, putting stress on tissues, on muscles, on tendons, on, on ligaments, on bones. And, and what those do, and so the response after exercise, and look, this is why that, that, that recovery period is so critical. And it's also why it's not a good idea for our clients to do back-to-back HIIT workouts because when you deplete, if you deplete your carbohydrate or deplete glycogen in a workout on a Monday, you're not, muscle cells aren't going to be fully restored till probably about Wednesday. And you're going to, people are going to be trying to train on an empty tank. If they try to go in, if they do a slamming workout on Monday and they try to do the same thing on Tuesday, they can muscle through it, but they're going to be, you know, kind of running on fumes. And if they're trying to do too high of intensity exercise, and they don't have enough available carbohydrate, there's something called gluconeogenesis where cortisol will start attacking, will go after amino acids. That's a very rough estimate of this, but how it's happening. But cortisol will convert amino acids into ATP, adenosine triphosphate. So that way you're not using carbohydrate or you're not using, you're not using carbohydrate or fat for energy. The body's using, using protein for fuel. So that's really what's happening in, in, um, in the metabolism side. Now, on the repair side, post-high-intensity exercise, the body will produce insulin-like growth factor. It'll produce growth hormone. It'll produce testosterone. Those hormones are used to repair the damaged proteins, the damaged tissues. And those hormones, like growth hormone, is great for helping metabolize fat. That's why as we age, if we do more strength training, that can actually help us burn more fat than doing like an hour of cardio because we're stimulating lower-intensity cardio won't have the same growth hormone response as higher intensity interval training or high intensity strength training. Lower intensity exercise where you're working aerobically just doesn't have the same stimulus, according to the research from what's been documented, doesn't have the same stimulus on the anabolic hormones. Where high intensity strength training, high intensity interval training has that, creates that stimulus for the body saying, uh oh, things got damaged, things got broken, let's, let's produce more of these hormones to help repair the damaged tissues. And that's really where high intensity training becomes part of this idea of slowing down aging is that you're elevating testosterone, you're elevating growth hormone. And anybody who's watched any sports at all on TV has seen those commercials for testosterone supplements, right? Has seen those commercials with Frank Thomas. And, and I think who's it now? Drew Brees or whatever. I mean, they're doing these. Yeah, it's Doug a few, Flutie. <laughs> yeah, Doug, that's who it is. It's Doug Flutie, not Drew Brees. Yeah. Sorry, I knew it was a shorter quarterback, yeah. <laughs> but but you're seeing this, and here's the thing: if you're working with guys and guys in their 40s and 50s, men in their 40s and 50s, andropause is a real thing. As we age, the male body will produce less testosterone, up to three to five percent less testosterone per year without the proper stimulus. But strength training and HIT training provides that stimulus. And I would never tell somebody not to take medication, but I would all, I would tell somebody in their 40s or 50s, like, hey, strength training with me. And I can help elevate, I can help you add lean muscle mass, I can help elevate testosterone levels, and you won't need to go to the doctor and pay $10 a pill for those little blue Pfizer things that, that they brand Viagra, so you can go out and have a good time with your spouse on a Saturday night. I mean, that's really where, what we can do with our strength training and HIIT training 
is really boost and men will have more of a testosterone response. And I'll say this for women because women, testosterone is produced primarily in the testes. Women produce a magnitude of 10 to 30 times less testosterone than men because in women, testosterone is produced a little bit in the ovaries and a little bit in the adrenal complex. And so women, in response to higher intensity training, women's bodies will produce more growth hormone. Well, growth hormone helps metabolize fat. It also helps the skin look younger. So that's really where, you know, it's kind of a benefit for both, for both genders is if we add two, three days a week of higher intensity training, we can really boost levels of those anabolic muscle building hormones. And that's really the, the, what slows down aging. Love it. Love it. And, you know, one thing I want to talk about too, though, is the definition of, of really high intensity without kind of analysis paralysis, because I think everything is labeled hit, but the original definition and the original, you know, ways that hit or even Tabata was designed isn't necessarily everybody says if it's a, you know, if it what 20 on 40 off, that's Tabata, but it, it's, it's the work that you're putting in the intensity at which you're putting in the time at which you're able to put in. Would you mind explaining that? Yeah, Jay, you're on the money, man, because when it comes to hit, when you look at, at, at Gabala's research, when you look at the research, duration really isn't as important as intensity. And here's what a lot of people overlook. A true four-minute, if you do a true four-minute Tabata at the highest level of intensity possible, and, and the research in the research study published by, by that team, they hit 170% of the VO2 max of the participants. Ooh. And that means that after one four-minute Tabata, you should be completely gassed and not able to do another one. I mean, this idea, and I've taught for health clubs that that do 40-minute Tabata or 45-minute Tabata classes, and I'm like, that's a, that's a little bit of overkill because if you do it right, if, if you do it, if you push yourself to the hardest, highest level of intensity, you really, that 20 seconds at a time should gas you. That 10 seconds, you know, Tabata being 20, 10, 20 on, 10 seconds active recovery, that 10 seconds, you're like, I got how many more of these? And you're really, by the end of it, by the end of the four minutes, you should be gassed, drenched, and really not in like, okay, time out, no more of that. The brain's and, in a nasty place at that point in time. Well, and the thing is, there, there's one great study um, by Braun, by, by, published by Braun in 2018, that they had three groups. Two groups did Tabatas, and one group did 30 minutes of treadmill running. The group running on the treadmill, I think, was about running at 70% of max VO2, for 30 minutes. So that's a good, moderate, intensity, steady state pace. The two Tabata groups, one group did body weight exercises like burpees and, and well, squat thrust is a burpee, but burpees, mountain climbers, and a couple other exercises. So one group did body weight Tabata and the other group did a four minute Tabata on a treadmill. The two Tabata groups only did 12 minutes of exercise a week. The treadmill group did 90 a minutes. A week? Did you say a week? Yeah. Oh, see it. Yeah. So in the study group, the, the, the two Tabata groups did 12 minutes a week of their exercise. The, the treadmill group did 90 minutes a week of exercise. And it's, the cool thing about this study is number one, each group had about 20 to 30 participants. So it's a few more participants and it was a 16 week study. So it went a little bit longer. And what they saw over the course, course of the study were the two groups that did the high intensity exercise for 12 minutes a week got better results in terms of weight loss and muscle building as opposed to the, as opposed to the moderate intensity group. And that really, it just, it doesn't mean that that not do moderate intensity, but it builds up evidence that, you know what, maybe we only need to do four minutes of HIIT training at a time. And that's what I try to get people thinking about in the book is like a good, true, a true HIIT workout should be maybe between 10 to 15 minutes. 
Give yourself about five to six minutes or give your client about five, six minutes to break a sweat, get warmed up, have them go hard for, it could be a four minute Tabata. It could be like a six minute ladder. It could be a, I love 30, 20, 10, which is, is called the Copenhagen protocol. That's 30 seconds easy, 20 moderate, 10, just drop the hammer and go. But you only need somewhere between five to eight minutes of one of those cycles, then a cool down. And then guess what? You're done for the day. At least you're, at least that portion of your training. We don't need to overtrain and overstress the system. We need to stress the system, but we don't need to overstress. And I think that's where we make a fundamental mistake in our programming is we think hit and we're like, okay, let's do 30 minutes of hit. And it's like, I'm going to slam you into the wall for 30 minutes. That's going to break the body down and that's going to diminish your ability to train tomorrow. I'd rather give a client like a good, like I described, a good 12 to 15 minute hit workout. It's going to fatigue them for today, but it's not going to thrash them so they can come back in and enjoy whatever workout or activity they want to do tomorrow. Because I ne- I want people to exercise and be active every day of the week. And and we, we should be a little bit sore the day after a hard workout or feel a little bit discomfort after a hard workout. But I know, and I know trainers out there have gotten these texts. I've gotten these texts. What did we do yesterday? I can't get out of bed. My legs are killing me. And I always, I, I feel so awful when that happens because it's like, that's not the goal of exercise. The goal of exercise is not to hurt our clients. Minimum dose response. What's that? Minimum dose response. (laughs) I would always, I always prefer, and I tell, I tell people this is like, look, the first few sessions, three to five sessions, you might not find it that hard. And that's on purpose because I'm watching you move. I'm getting to know you a little bit. I'm watching your body move. I'm kind of watching your limits. And after about five or six sessions, I feel a lot more comfortable with what you can do with your body. That's when I start kind of like, okay, let's start going a little bit harder. Let's start pushing a little bit more, you know, but it always, for me and my, the way I approach it, and other people might do it differently, but the way I approach it is, is I would rather have a client say, you know what? I can work harder because it's always easier to go a little bit harder or go a little bit, push a little bit more. But what we can't do is when we get that phone call or that text saying, I can't get out of bed is we can't back it up, right? We can't undo We can't undo a training workout. We can always do a little bit more the next workout, but if I overload you today and completely thrash your system, I, I, can't, I can't hit rewind. I can't do what Ferris Bueller did and try to put the car up on blocks and, and drive in reverse <laughs> and take miles off. It just doesn't work like that. Uh, that's great. Well, you know, the, the other thing too is, and, and I want to get into some specifics around, you know, your recommendations, you know, on how things are programmed and in the book, obviously it goes into full on workouts that, that, you know, you can just take from there and then obviously modify, but have you seen anything? Everything's goal specific. Let's obviously we know that. Um, but with people that want to lose weight that say, you know, I want more, I want to do some resistance training. Um, I want to do some hit. Where have you seen and where have you found, you know, doing that hit, the the not the traditional hit, but the way that it's supposed to be done prior to the actual weightlifting uh, and resistance training or post? Well, that that's a great question. And I would say both. It just, I kind of look at it as, is, is that depends, right? It, it depends on what phase we're in, depends on how long that they've been training, because we know this, the body adapts. Like I'm right now, I'm a big fan of like kind of doing the strength training first because the byproduct like the pyruvate and lactate produced from strength training from glycogen metabolism during strength training is actually used by muscle cells. The muscle cells recycle that into ATP. So your waste product from a strength training workout can become your energy for for a HIIT workout. 
And so I think I, I love the idea of finishing a workout with like a four minute, just like, Hey, God, let's come over to the rowing machine. And I'm a huge fan of the rowing machine because no knee, no impact on the knees, no, no compression on the spine. And you're getting a total body, you're getting arms and legs working together or the assault bike, the hit bike, either one of those. That's, those are my two go-tos for hit because treadmills, it can be a little hard. There's a lag between getting it going and everything. Um, but I look at that. If you want to end the session with like a four to six minute hit, I think that's perfect because it doesn't matter what else you did in the session. People always remember the last thing. So you could have done a total mobility workout, a little bit of strength training and say, all right, let's go finish up on the rowing machine. And they're going to walk out of there thinking that was the hardest workout ever, right? Because that's what they're going to remember. Whereas, and then if you do that for eight to 10 weeks, guess what? Maybe now we put hit towards the beginning of the workout then maybe strength isn't my focus. Maybe mobility might be focused for this phase, or maybe I'm working on more endurance training or more hypertrophy training. And then that's why if, if I'm not as focused on strength, I might put hit towards the beginning of the workout. Now I'm going to stress the body early and keep the body work, working out throughout the rest of the thing. And that's really where it could go. Personally, I think it could go either way. Yeah. It just depends on the adaptation. The yeah. And, and that's where, because I've seen, you know, some research, you know, really passed on through the Poliquin group, you know, where if you're trying to get stronger, actually, sometimes it's good to actually do it on the front end so that you're, you're getting the hormonal boost that comes from that. And then, you know, you're resting and then going in, you know, a little bit and then going and doing your strength training and you might get that benefit from it. Um, But one thing that I want to dive into too, is obviously when we talk about high intensity, there's High intensity in, in a lot of cases, and you touched on it a second ago, requires a little, you know, it, it's a, could be potentially harder on the joints and harder on the body. So we talk about ageless intensity and being able to, to lengthen the aging process, but we also want to make sure we have good joint health. So, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of options, but is there anything else that you discuss you know, in the book where you're talking about how to choose the modality in which you're, you're, you're creating the high intensity workout. Yeah. And I go into a section, no, it's a good, good point. Except I go into to the section, I have, I have a whole chapter on metabolic conditioning and I talk about the difference between like a treadmill and a bike and a rowing machine. And also I'm a big fan of heavy ropes too, like it, or medicine ball slams, because we want, here's the thing about when you work with older adults, they're not afraid of working hard. But to your point, they don't want to be in pain. And there's a difference between discomfort and pain. We have to realize that our job as personal trainers and fitness professionals, the hardest part of our job is helping people being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Because it's that discomfort that causes changes to the body. And it, that's why I tell people it's going to take you a few sessions before I really get comfortable pushing you hard. Because I want to find where that, where that discomfort level is. Because our job should stimulate, when, when we're working with a client, we should stimulate a little bit of discomfort, but there's a difference with pain. And I'll stop people and be like, all right, time out. Does this hurt? Because if it hurts, we're going to stop. We're not going to do this. But if it's uncomfortable, that's what you're paying me for. So let's, let's learn how to work through that. But I look at those exercises where, I, 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 depending on the person, I might not have them squat because squatting might compress their spine. Somebody in their 50s, might have a pretty good chance of having had some low back issues sometime in the last 10 or 15 years. Do they really need to be compressing their cervical spine with, with a heavy barbell? Probably not. And that's where I'm a huge fan of Dan John's goblet squats. Let's go heavy on a goblet squat. And, and Jason, I have to say, I've become a huge fan of the hip thrust exercise. And, and when I first saw it, I don't know about you, when I first saw 
people putting barbells across their hips and yeah. I'm like, ah, it's just whatever. That's, that's for the booty. But when you look at it and we look at certain populations, I have pretty gnarly arthritis right now in my right knee. So there are some days where my body just says, nah, today it's not going to be squatty. So I go heavy on the hip thrust. I go heavy, you know, where you lay on the ground and put the barbell on the hips. You're not compressing the spine. You're not compressing the knees and you're still, you're putting the muscles under maximal tension. So that's where sometimes we might need to adjust our outlook and say, you know what, we want to push people hard, but we need to respect the joints. And that's also where machines come into play. You know, I, the exercises I have in the book are more suited towards, I show barbell training, I show kettlebell training, I show dumbbell training, but I also have a little piece in there on the benefits of machines, because there might be those days where it just, something's just, you know, your client might say, you know what, I don't know what I did, but I'm feeling a little bit of funky. Well, we don't know what might be causing that, but I'm not going to challenge that. If somebody has a little bit of a soreness, I'm not going to try to add on to that by having them do something with free weights. I'm going to back them off and maybe put them on a machine for that workout where now the, the, the machine's providing the stability and the muscles generating the force. So that's really where we want to keep the clients working, but we need to understand we can use all tools in the toolbox to make that happen. Yeah. You know, I, th I think it's it, what hit me right there you know, as, as trainers grow is, is just the ability to understand how to regress and progress without throwing away, you know, that could be a whole nother episode for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, because again, you know, and I think the, the, the history of people that you've learned from people that I've learned from, it opens up that mind of how can I take a, a pressing motion or, or a squatting or a hinging motion and really bring it to its lowest common or its highest common, you know, depending upon what's sitting in front of you. And, and I'd love to ask you this because obviously with the, with the increase in popularity of what I'll, I'll term the CrossFit style functional training, I know that, you know, some of the ed past educators that you've been through the Gary Gray's of the world, you know, and, and people like that, where, you know, they, they see things a little bit differently. And, you know, my question to you is, is, you know, your feelings around you know, so many people in the functional, the CrossFit world is if I could squat or if I could deadlift, that's, that's, that's functional. You know, I do that in real life, but my question to that, and I love your opinion on it is, yeah, if you're lifting the bar, if the bar is here, or if the bag or whatever it is, your kid is lifting is right here close to your body. But what happens when you squat and you have to reach out that completely changes it. And, and, and it doesn't mean because I can squat 300 pounds or deadlift 500 pounds that I'm going to be able to actually do that same lift with my arms out here with a load that might even be 15, 20 pounds. And, you know, without tangent, I guess, what are your thoughts on that and how you work within this realm of all the tools that you've been given? Well, I like that because we have to understand the leverage in the body, how the, the, how the body kind of connects from one to the other. And one of the big points that I make in the book is, and just I'm a proponent of this and other people might feel differently, but I believe that we should be training, we should be having our clients do a total body workout with every session, right? I mean, if we're working with somebody in their 40s or 50s, they don't have time to do chest on one day or do push on one day, do pull on another. I mean, I want to keep them, keep them working. And one of the things that I, that I try to do is I use cable machines a lot. I'm a big fan of cable machines and I have a number of cable cable exercises in the book. I'm also a big fan of TRX and have a number of TRX exercises in the book because what those exercises do is link the body together. It links our shoulders and our hips. For those of you out there that have that have kids and you've seen your kids develop, you can watch every you can learn everything you need to know about core training 
by watching the first 16, 18 months of childhood development. Because you go from extending the spine. A child, a baby will go extend the spine, will roll over with the shoulders and hips, will crawl with the shoulders and hips. Walking is coordinating between the shoulders and the hips. So when we exercise, if we want to kind of become functionally strong, yes, the big lifts are important. And, and I, I look at starting, a, get warmed up, you start a workout with two or three big heavy lifts for force production. But then you go into maybe some cable machine where I'm doing a standing press or a standing pull because when you're standing with your feet on the ground and you're pushing or pulling, all those muscles but from you know, around your th thighs, your femurs, your pelvis, your spine, all those muscles are engaged. And that's really where, at our age, do we really need to be pushing 315 on the bench anymore? Mm -hmm. Because when you look on the bench, the bench compresses the scapula and your ribcage is kind of round right here and the scapula is designed to rotate here. And if I'm laying back on a bench, that bench is compressing my scapula, not allowing it to rotate. And if I have clients that are at a computer all day or on their phone all day or driving and they're forward, they're, they're kind of protracted, I don't need to be making shoulder mechanics worse. I might have that person do just TRX push-ups to create that stability. Or I might have them do one-arm cable presses because I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of one-arm cable presses because you get your core, your hips, everything involved, and the strength becomes from the ground up. So to answer that question, I look at that kind of a combination of that, of maybe two or three big lifts in a workout, but then everything else is like maybe you're doing medicine ball, medicine ball circuit. Maybe you're doing even some kettlebell. Like I'm a huge fan of the kettlebell carries, the overhead carries, the, the suitcase carries, the, and then you get into the cable exercises because you, you coordinate. In order to get a muscle strong, you need to load the muscle. But what I learned from Michelle Dalcourt in the Institute of Motion is between every between every muscle fiber, we have connective tissue. Between muscles, we have connective tissue. Muscles become stronger by lifting linearly against gravity. But connective tissue and the tissues that connect our shoulders and our hips become stronger by moving weight through gravity. So we need to add, have a way to add both types of, 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 of force into our body where we're doing heavy linear stuff and then we're doing heavy or lighter stuff, lower intensity stuff, but moving through multiple planes of motion because that's what connects all the different parts of our body. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, you know, anything else you want to leave, leave the, the group with, and, you know, obviously if you want more information, obviously he's got ageless intensity. He also has smarter workouts, which is a great, great book as well. Um, but anything else, and, and obviously check out the all about fitness podcast, which, which he does as well, but anything you want to leave us with. Here's the thing, Jay, it all works. <laughs> you know, it all works. And, and that's really, the toughest job, and I remember, dude, I remember my, in the early days, I used to be like a, a Paul check. I used to be a checkist, and and you remember those debates between Czech and Juan Carlos Santana, and, and I used to strut around, but Paul says this, and Paul says that, and, and, and I was an idiot, you know, right? Sometimes I look back and I'd say, you know, I was an idiot, and I'm not saying, I mean, Paul is one of the most brilliant guys, and, and Paul has so much foresight into where the fitness is. Paul in the 1990-2000 was talking about gluten intolerance and saying we should be on an organic diet. I mean, yeah. he was years ahead of the curve. So Paul is brilliant. But here's the thing. It all works. Find out what works for you. Find out what you're comfortable with. Maybe you like some stuff from, from the S&C, the strength and conditioning world. Maybe you like some stuff from the mobility world. Maybe you like some stuff from the TRX world. It all works. you got to kind of create your own brand of fitness. I mean, you got to kind of create... You're, and that's really what I did as a trainer is I, I go back to what I said earlier. I train my clients like athletes and I would tell them that. It's like I might not have you at the same intensity and volume, 
but I'm taking that same mindset where I'm gonna teach you how to move first, then we're gonna add, I looked at it as improved posture, teach the movement patterns, and then add load, and then you add velocity. And when I got to the American Council on Exercise, that's where we developed, I mean, that was the basic foundation for the ACE Integrated Fitness Training Model, the IFT model, is kind of, I mean, and that's very similar to the OPT model, but it all goes back to like Shirley Sarman's work. It goes back to other people. It just, yeah. apply it in a different system. So, and that that's, you know, we hear, we see, I want the best, you know, our, our company's big on that right now. And, and I put together this thing is, you know, how often have we've seen the most educated person in the, in, in the room, not actually have a great experience with their clients. And, you know, my, my point of what I'm getting at is the best workout is the one that they're going to do. And, the way that you train yourself isn't the way that you should be training every one of your clients. Uh, you got, and you know, you got to be able to create an experience that allows them to stay with you and, and obviously refer. And, and I think that's the, the missing magic, uh, in, in every trainer. Well, to, if I could leave people with this, it's this concept, Jay, cause you're right on the money. It's about the experience at the end of the day, we have 24 hours in a day. We all have 24 hours in a day. When a client makes a commitment to come see us, they're giving us one out of their 24 hours. We we can't we can't produce more time. We fundamentally that's the one commodity. We can produce clothes, we can produce TVs, we can produce cars, we can produce all that crap. But we can't produce time. So when somebody comes to see us and they're giving us one hour of their time, that's something special. And we have to honor that by making sure it's a fun, engaging, interactive, productive workout. Some days you're gonna be pushing them hard and be sweating buckets. Other days they might come in. And they might have had a long day at work. They might have been getting ready to walk out the door and their boss dumped something on their desk and said, I need this by tomorrow. And they got three hours of sleep. But they didn't want to miss their appointment because they value that much. Well, that's not a day to beat them up. That's a day to maybe just have them do a foam roller and a power plate and maybe a mobility workout. And you say, you know what? I see today we were going to do kettlebell stuff, but I can see in talking to you right now, you didn't sleep well last night. Let's... We're not going to do kettlebell stuff. Let's go over. Let's hit the foam roll. Maybe do some assisted stretching. Maybe do some stretching using the TRX. Let's make it a mobility day. And you have to understand you need to give your clients what they need for that day and make it special. So that way they walk out of the session. I want my goal for every workout, every class, everything is I want people to say, you know what? That felt right today. I feel good. I want people to walk out of a workout feeling better than when they walked in. Yep. Awesome. Well, again, you know, I'll have in the show notes, you know, ways to get in contact with Pete and, and check out his information and his books and all that. And again, I just want to thank you so much for, you know, what you're doing, contributing to the, the industry as a whole and, you know, just how you've been able to help everybody. So thanks a bunch, man. Oh, Jay, thank you. That's so, that's so kind. And I really, I, I really appreciate to see what you guys are doing. I just wish, I only wish that there was a lifetime a little bit closer to me. There's La Jolla yeah. Village, which is right down. Yeah. I don't know if you've, you've been down La Jolla Village. That's kind of tough to get to. And Elisa Viejo and San Juan are, are a little bit too far north. So, hey, there's an, there's an empty 30,000 square foot uh, former uh, super sport across the street from me. So <laughs> it has a swimming pool in it. It needs, yeah. and actually, here's the thing there's a retail space next door to it, probably about a uh, 12 to 15,000 square foot retail space next door to it that's completely empty so you might want to give your your your, your real estate guys a clue because yeah. <laughs> you know that would be hey i would love to see i would love to see a lifetime somewhere in north county san diego and that hey, way i could i could become a part of the community I, I know there's 87 in the books for the next three and a half to four years so uh we'll see what happens all right man hey you guys you guys are doing awesome stuff and it's awesome to see you rocking and rolling so thanks for letting me uh, be on the show mm-hmm.